Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 34 Forgotten Realms, Part 2. So last week, we covered the early life of the Forgotten Realms, from its initial formation as the setting for the childhood stories written by Ed Greenwood, to Greenwood's use of it as a setting for his home AD&D game, to its first run of setting materials from TSR. We ended last week's episode at the end of 1989, and I said then that we'd be picking up today in 1990. But I lied. We actually have to go back to 1989 for a minute, because in 1989, AD&D got its second edition. Now, we'll be covering that edition sometime in February, so we're not going to get too deep into it at this point. However, the differences between first and second edition necessitated changes to the realms. As I said a minute ago, we'll get deeper into the differences between first and second editions when we deep dive second edition, but the short form answer here is that second edition was so much more radical than first edition, there had to be a way to explain why the world had changed so much. By the way, this has happened every time a new edition of D&D has dropped, most recently with the change from fourth edition to fifth edition. And for the record, D&D isn't the only game this has happened with, but I digress. TSR decided that the switch from 1st edition to 2nd edition warranted a big story. So, the top management at TSR decided to create a story of the gods being cast down. It began in 1989's Hall of Heroes. Credit for the writing for this goes to the TSR staff, though it should be noted that Jeff Grubb and R.A. Salvatore were among those who wrote for the release. This release with the TSR code FR7 would be best described as a primer for the 1E to 2E change. Rather than describing a geographical area of the realms, which is what most of the FR entries cover, Hall of Heroes provides full information, including statistics for the major heroes of the realms. Drizzt Dorden and Elminster were among the heroes who got the full workup treatment here, and it was explained by reminding players that the gods were coming, so the realms would need their heroes. A second section of the book detailed some minor characters of the realms, most of whom hadn't really played a central role in any of the stories yet. The final section detailed two of the major adventuring brotherhoods of the realms, the Knights of Mithdranor and the Company of Eight. On the heels of this, a three-book novel series with an accompanying three-module adventure, all titled the Avatar Trilogy, were released. And no, we're not talking about blue creatures. The novels and the modules had the same names because they covered essentially the same thing. All three modules were written by Ed Greenwood, while the novels were written by... Shadowdale was written by Scott Clenson. Clenson also wrote Tantris, and Troy Denning wrote Waterdeep. One major difference between the Avatar trilogy and the previous module series was that these modules were plot-driven rather than dungeon-crawling. It's been noted by numerous authors since then that the plot-driven modules would start being the rule rather than the exception moving forward. Also for the record, the Avatar novel trilogy eventually became known as the Avatar series, as two more novels were published, Prince of Lies by James Lauder in 1993 and Crucible, The Trial of Sirik the Mad by Troy Denning in 1998. The series was designed to bring the realms into second edition by giving players a plot-driven adventure they could participate in that would also give them the opportunity to test drive, as it were, the new rules. It should also be noted that TSR went all in on the realms adjustment to second edition by advancing the realms calendar forward one year to 1358 DR and explained the gap in dates as the time of troubles. 
Now, let's do what I promised we'd do and get you into 1990. Early in the year, TSR dropped the hardcover Forgotten Realms Adventures, which was the formal introduction of the Realms to Second Edition. Written by Jeff Grubb and Ed Greenwood, Forgotten Realms Adventures was essentially a revision of the Forgotten Realms sourcebook and the cyclopedia information that had been a part of the initial box set release of the Realms. This book, which was a healthy 160 pages, brought all of the information from those original two books up to date with 2nd edition and further updated it to match up with all the additional Realms product that had dropped during that time, including the deities, secret societies, treasures, and so on and so forth. Next up was The Ruins of Undermountain, which dropped in 1991. The Ruins of Undermountain was a boxed set containing a 128-page booklet, Campaign Guide to Undermountain, a 32-page booklet, Undermountain Adventures, eight double-sided, loose-leaf monster stat pages, because early in 2nd edition, the monster manual was a monster three-wing binder. More on that in the 2E episode. And four color fold-out poster maps. <clears throat> The Ruins of Undermountain has been tagged as being one of the first mega-dungeons. And a mega-dungeon it definitely is. It was sold as having the first three levels of the original dungeon of Undermountain located beneath the city of Waterdeep. Now, this dungeon is supposed to be nine levels deep with 14 sub-levels. According to the descriptive materials, there were supposed to be 350 rooms per level. However, not that many rooms are actually detailed. In reality, 25 rooms are filled out on the first floor, 26 on the second, and none on the third. So what's, what's all the hype about? What's the big deal with this? It allowed DMs to incorporate some of their own deep dungeon stuff into the ruins of Undermountain. It also allowed for integration of any future materials that were created for the dungeon. By the way, some of the art for this piece was done by Jeff Easley, who a whole lot of late 80s and early 90s D&D players will easily recognize. Also, for the record, The Ruins of Undermountain was ranked the 17th greatest adventure of all time by Dungeon Magazine for D&D's 30th anniversary in 2004. Keith Eisenbeis completed a review for White Wolf Magazine in February of 92, he stated that he found the appearance of the materials to be exceptional, particularly the maps. However, he found everything else to be of lesser quality. He gave the supplement a 3 out of 5. So I know this is about the Forgotten Realms specifically, but this next entry ties in, so just stay with me. In 1992, TSR released the Al-Kadim setting, created by Jeff Grubb. Al-Qadim uses 1001 Nights as its theme and is a blend of the historical Muslim caliphates, the stories from legend, and a ton of Hollywood cinematic history. And yes, we all know just how accurate Hollywood movies are. Now, my intentions are to cover Al-Qadim deeper in a future episode, so for now I'm just going to bring you what you need that ties into the Forgotten Realms. When it was originally released, the land of Zakara, which is the land of Al-Qadim, it was a peninsula in the southern region of Faerun, which is the Forgotten Realm setting. However, if we're telling the entire truth, Al-Qadim was also built to be run as its own campaign setting. But if you look at the original title banner for Al-Qadim, it's done very much in the same style as the Forgotten Realms, with a bit of Middle Eastern flair. Getting back into the timeline, around this same time, the RPGA role-playing game association, got involved with the realms as well, setting their first living campaign in the city of Raven's Bluff. There were also a series of RPGA modules released to further support the product. 
As we moved through the 1990s, it was noted that the sub-settings of the realm, such as Al-Qadim and Karatur, were getting supported better than the mainline to some extent, though the support for the mainline didn't stop completely. Karatur, which we talked about last week, got the Horde box set in 1990. Created by David Cook with art by Larry Elmore, the Horde covered the central area of the realms, the Endless Waste, and the nomads living there, specifically the Horde, which was a Mongol copy for the game. The box set had two 64-page books containing the information about the setting and the tribes. There were also eight hole-punched pages with new monsters, as well as 24 player handouts. In 1991, the Maztica campaign set was released. The path to this campaign set had been carved by a trilogy of novels written by Douglas Niles. Iron Helm and Viperhand, which were both released in 1990, and Feathered Dragon, which came out in 1991. Niles then worked with Tim Beach to co-author the campaign setting, which is a new continent within the Forgotten Realms setting. Mastika is an analog of Aztec and Mayan cultures, and while it tries to pay homage to its source materials, there have been those over the years who haven't seen it as such. So much so that Mastika materials on the DM's Guild carry the warning apology from Wizards of the Coast concerning the appropriateness of terminology. However, when it was released, the Mastika set brought a whole lot of new stuff to the Forgotten Realms and got mostly fair, typical either 2.5 or 3 stars on a 5 star system reviews. One complaint I noticed on multiple reviews was the lack of magic with Mastika, as its magical system is virtually non-existent. Instead, certain mystical powers and items are part of the system, with the idea being an homage to certain Aztec and Mayan rituals we've learned about from centuries of study. Heading into 1993, TSR decided to bring the original box set of Forgotten Realms into 2nd edition, releasing a new Forgotten Realms campaign setting box set. Now, this set had three books in it, A Grand Tour of the Realms, Running the Realms, and Shadowdale. The TSR staff got a collective credit for the writing, and this release pulled the realms completely into second edition. Looking at the section of the realms entitled Novels, the 1990s were very good. The Legacy of the Drow series was released from 1992 to 1996 and was written by R.A. Salvatore. It consisted of the titles The Legacy, Starless Night, Siege of Darkness, and Passage to Dawn. Ed Greenwood also dropped the first three novels in the Elminster series during this time. Elminster, The Making of a Mage in 1994, Elminster and Mythdranor in 1997, and The Temptation of Elminster in 1998. A number of different anthologies also came out during this time, and series like The Harpers came to be. By the first quarter of 1996, TSR had published 64 novels set in the Forgotten Realms. For perspective, to that point, there had been a total of 242 novels set in AD&D worlds. It was also noted that a whole lot of gamers named the Forgotten Realms novels as at least part of the reason they were playing AD&D. And the novels based in the realms were so successful that numerous authors and reporters over the decades have claimed it is, if at not the top of the list, certainly one of the most successful shared fantasy universes of the 1990s. Oh, and for the record, I loved the Harper's series of books. They're really hard to find these days, but if you can find them, I highly recommend reading them. And I'll read anything R.A. Salvatore puts out. Trust me, if he writes a phone book, I'm going to pay premium cash to buy it and read it. Just saying. 
Okay, so we've looked at supplements, we've looked at novels. Guess we need to look at video games for this decade. Between 1990 and 2000, there were a lot of video games released that were set in the Forgotten Realms. The Eye of the Beholder was released for PC in 1990, then it got two sequels. One came out in 1991 and the other in 1992. Those three games got a DOS re-release on a single disc in 1995. And for those of you who don't remember what it was like to have your PC games on a disc, well, just be glad CDs took over. Google it if you don't believe me. Also in 1991, Neverwinter Nights came out on America Online. This version earned the title of the first graphically massive multiplayer online role-playing game. But we also have to remember what the internet was like 31 years ago. Compared to today's speeds, it was like a race between a guy on a skateboard and a guy on a Porsche. Uh, for the time, though, holy shit. I remember playing this later in 1991 once I got to college, and it was, it was awesome. I'd never seen anything like it, and... Yeah, I didn't want to stop playing to go to class at the time. In 1998, we got Baldur's Gate, which was the first in a line of what has become extremely popular PC games. BioWare was the publisher, and Baldur's Gate helped drive their profits to near record levels for several years running. It was followed by Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Om in 2000 and Icewind Dale a couple of years later. 2001 brought Pool of Radiance, Ruins of Mythdranor to PCs, and it also proved to be very popular with PC gamers. But, this is a show about tabletop role-playing games, so let's get back into the timeline. Now, we need to take a half a step back and remind you that Wizards of the Coast took over D&D from TSR in 1997. When they did that, they cut the number of published campaign settings to just the Forgotten Realms and Dragonlands. Now, we also know from the D&D episode at the very beginning of this series that the final new second edition products for AD&D were published between 1998 and 1999. Knowing that third edition would be coming out shortly, Wizards tapped Rob Heinsoon to lead the team focusing on bringing the Forgotten Realms into the new edition of the game. His team's work came to fruition with the 2001 release of the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. This book, which I still own, was the equivalent of one of the setting boxes from earlier editions. It brought the overall setting into third edition with updates on the previous materials to the new rules, as well as yet another timeline advance for the realms itself. This time, the timeline was advanced from 1358DR to 1372DR. The Forgotten Realms campaign setting flew off the shelves and won the Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Game Supplement of 2001 during the 2002 Awards. Wizards kept cranking out updated product for the realms, but the 2002 adventure City of the Spider Queen led to a cutting back of production as it failed to meet its sales expectations. Written by James Wyatt, City of the Spider Queen is a 160-page adventure supplement that has the players investigating raids by drow onto the surface. Through the course of the adventure, players will make it into the Underdark and will come face-to-face -face with a number of drow priestesses. While it didn't meet Wizards' sales projections, it was fairly well-received. It was ranked the 24th greatest adventure of all time by Dungeon Magazine for the 30th anniversary of the game in 2004. Dungeon Master for Dummies lists the game as one of the 10 best 3rd edition adventures. James Volpole reviewed the game for Mania.com. He said, City of the Spider Queen is an excellent addition to anyone's Forgotten Realms campaign, or with modifications, any D&D 3rd edition game. 
For the record, it also won the 2002 Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Adventure. With supplement production slowing down after City of the Spider Queen, let's look at video game development. BioWare struck again in 2002, releasing Neverwinter Nights, which was set in the northern reaches of Faerun and utilized the 3rd edition rules. BioWare quickly dropped two expansion packs, Shadows of Undrantide and Hordes of the Underdark. Obsidian Entertainment updated the rules for 3.5 edition and dropped a sequel to Neverwinter Nights in 2006. They also released two expansions, Mask of the Betrayer and Storm of Zaheer. When Wizards updated D&D to 4th edition in 2008, they made a corporate decision to publish a series of six books a year, three core rulebooks and three setting books. They also decided the Realms would be the first on the list. So in 2008, we got the Forgotten Realms Campaign Guide, the Forgotten Realms Player's Guide, and the Scepter Tower of Spellguard. Scepter Tower was an adventure module, while the other two books updated the materials of Forgotten Realms to the 4th edition rules. Scepter Tower was written by David Noonan and Greg A. Vaughn and had players investigating a mysterious presence in the Towers of Spellguard. And much has been the case with previous edition updates, Wizards used a major cataclysm as the reason for change. In this case, it was something called the Spell Plague, which was detailed in the books released for the new edition. The timeline was again advanced, this time to 1479DR. The RPGA again utilized the Forgotten Realms as its setting for its living campaign. In 2008, it became the sole campaign, as Living Greyhawk was dropped. In 2011, the Neverwinter campaign setting was dropped. This was 4th edition's first major multimedia release. The campaign setting book itself, written by Matt Cernet, Eric Scott Debee, and Ari Marmel, was an attempt to bring the entire Neverwinter region up to date for 4th edition. However, as numerous reviewers noted, there wasn't a lot of history in the book. The majority of the pages of the book were dedicated to presenting the present of the region. But the character options and factions and foes were praised as being meaty, in that they brought a lot of new knowledge about the realms to the gaming table. The Neverwinter setting was also supported at the time, with four novels written by R.A. Salvatore called The Neverwinter Saga, and consisting of Gauntlet Grimm, Neverwinter, Charon's Claw, and The Last Threshold. A comic book, plus a board game, called The Legend of Drizzt, were also released to support the setting. And in a true multimedia plan, two video games were released. A Facebook game called Heroes of Neverwinter, and an MMORPG called Neverwinter, which came out in 2013. At the time, Laura Tomervik, who was part of the Wizards marketing team, stated that, We use Neverwinter as the connective tissue across multiple product categories. The transmedia campaign is an opportunity for fans to experience the brand however they choose to. In 2013, Wizards of the Coast made a major announcement concerning the Forgotten Realms. Knowing that 5th edition was coming, Wizards announced a year-long event they dubbed The Sundering. It was designed as another multimedia project that would help transition the realms from 4th to 5th edition. The Sundering consisted of a weekly D&D Encounters event, which was an in-store play event. Uh, they also had a free-to-play mobile game called Arena of War and a big collaborative novel series. The Companions by R.A. Salvatore, which came out in 2013. The Godborn by Paul S. Kemp, also 2013. The Adversary by Aaron Evans, also 2013. The Reaver by Richard Lee Byers, which dropped in 2014. 
The Sentinel from Troy Denning, 2014, and The Herald by Ed Greenwood in 2014. Wizards of the Coast heavily promoted this sundering event, with multiple Wizards of the Coast high-ranking employees stressing how important it was and how much the changes the thundering was bringing would impact not only the realms, but D&D as a whole. Of course, 5th edition D&D also dropped in 2014, and Wizards announced at its release that the Forgotten Realms would be the official setting for this edition of the game. In fact, Wizards came out of the gate hot on this. The village of Phandalin was the primary setting for the adventure in the 5th edition starter set box, which was a newish innovation from Wizards designed to draw in potential gamers without them having to spend a ton of money on books. Now, we're going to get more into this when we deep dive 5th edition in a later episode, but the starter set was a big value deal because it was less than the cost of a single 5th edition book. I mean, I just looked it up on Amazon, and you can get it for about 12 bucks. I think it was about 20 when it first came out, so it was a big deal. Of course, once the core rulebooks for 5th edition came out, Wizards wasted no time getting more content out. Tyranny of Dragons was the first major storyline they released. It consisted of two adventure modules, Horde of the Dragon Queen and The Rise of Tiamat, both which were released in 2014. In addition, they dropped an update to the Neverwinter video game, which incorporated the new game rules as well as some of the new realm's content. Horde of the Dragon Queen and the Rise of Tiamat were specifically designed to be played in order, as the events of the first adventure bleed into the second, and they were designed to take a brand new 5th edition group all the way to 15th level. And because I've been dying to use this line for 33 and 3 quarter episodes of this show, it was the opportunity to fight a dragon in a dungeon. Seriously, truth in advertising. The next storylines were Elemental Evil, which included the 2015 adventure Princes of the Apocalypse, and Rage of Demons, which brought us 2015's Out of the Abyss. To this point, all of the Forgotten Realms releases for 5th edition had been adventure modules. This would not last, however. In 2015, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide was released. While the Sword Coast is a mere fraction of the Forgotten Realms, this book brought a lot of detail about this area into 5th edition with updated information and statistics for previously published details. Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide also described the 2013 Sundering event and what its impact on the realms had been. As was becoming standard procedure, there was also a video game released alongside this book. Sword Coast Legends from Digital Extremes dropped for PC, PS4, and Xbox One to help bring the Sword Coast to life for video gamers. Now, numerous reporters and reviewers had noted that until 2017, the Sword Coast and the Neverwinter area of the realms were the only parts of Faerun that had been covered with 5th edition materials. This changed with the 2017 release Tomb of Annihilation, which is an adventure that takes place in the southern jungles of Cholt. Chris Perkins, Will Doyle, and Steve Winter wrote the adventure, which was designed to take characters from levels 1 to 11, and tasked those characters with figuring out the link between the Death Curse and the Soulmonger artifact. While Tomb of Annihilation was decently reviewed, several reviewers noted that this was an adventure that seemed to be specifically designed to kill characters, if DMs were so inclined to let that happen. For the record, this wasn't the first adventure for D&D that had the ability to do that. It was just the first among Wizards' reign that really seemed to do it. So as we discuss the realms today, the setting is still going strong with a dedicated fan base that play in no other setting, or if they do, they utilize a ton of realm-specific things in their world. And that, friends, 
is why the Forgotten Realms has lasted as long as it has. Faerun has been written about in such detail over the past 35 years or so that you can run just about any type of campaign in it and have just about any type of environment in it. I could do an entire show just talking about the characters, the religion, the geography, the spells, and the items that were created specifically for the Forgotten Realms. And maybe I will at some point. But for our purposes, we've mentioned enough Forgotten Realms product that if you've never heard of it before, you've got a hell of a starting point. And if it's already your favorite, you're probably going to at me because I didn't mention your favorite thing or I butchered another pronunciation. But that's okay. Oh, and of course, if the rumors are true that Wizards of the Coast is working on Dungeons & Dragons 6th edition, we'll be doing a follow-up episode to this to talk about what happens with the Forgotten Realms. So that's food for thought. And with that, we're going to bring today's tour to a close. So next week, I'm going to do what I really never thought I'd do, and I'm going to use my own campaign as an example of how not to GM. For the record, I'm not going to intentionally place blame on any of my players. My goal here will be to show a number of decisions I made during the creation of the game, then during the execution of said game, that should have probably led to my own execution. No, not my execution, but definitely we're going to talk about decisions that I made that made things a lot more difficult further down the line. And I'm going to show you things, if you make an adjustment here and there, how that might have been able to change things. Of course, hindsight's always 50-50. And I may need to consider adult beverages before I record that show next week. Before I do anything else, I wanted to thank all the folks who joined us on Tales from the Tavern this past Sunday night. At Gamer Mom Luna has a hell of a cool show, and I enjoyed talking games with her and the rest of the panel. So to at Jess the Human, at Mr. Underscore Daryl Dorsey, and at One Bad Roll One, thank you for being so awesome and cool. I said on Twitter shortly after the show that I would gladly hang out with this group anytime, and that's not just me blowing hot air. They're pretty cool folks, and they are well worth the follow on Twitter and other social media sites. I'm also going to be plugging some of their stuff in the coming weeks, not because they asked me to, but because it just sounds too freaking cool to not send them some eyeballs or some ears, or you get my point. If you missed the show live, it should be on YouTube by the time you're hearing this, and will be on Gamer Mom Luna's podcast feed by Sunday. So you've still got chances to go catch our episode, along with all of the others she's done over the past couple of years. Give it a look, or a listen, if you've got the chance. As we go to wrap up today's show, I need to remind you that the music we use on this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out if you need royalty-free music for your project. As always, I owe everything to you where this podcast is concerned. Thank you for listening, and thanks for continuing to recommend us to your friends. You can follow us and reach out to the show on Facebook, Role Playing History Podcast. Twitter, you can tweet us at Role Playing P. We have a YouTube channel, Role Playing History Podcast. By now, you know the drill of what to do when you get there. If you want to be old school, and I still think it's friggin' hilarious that email is old school, but yeah, if you want to send us an email, the address is roleplayinghistorypodcast at gmail.com. And for the record, all of this stuff should be showing up in the information box for the episode. If it's not, let me know, because I need to chew somebody's ass and get that stuff on there like it's supposed to be. All right. Next week, I torch myself as I use my own campaign to show you how not to be a GM. Good Lord, just take me now. But anyway, that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're role-playing history.